Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us. Uh, We are very excited to get into something very awesome and very old. Actually, if you're not aware of what we're about to talk about, it will blow your mind. It'll explode your mind, no pun intended. Uh, But Dr. Woodward, how are you? Well, I'm doing great. I'm, I think that's really funny. That's that's kind of a clever opening since we're talking about a Cambrian explosion. And of course, it's not like the rock pieces are flying right and left. It's an explosion of diversity, which is a puzzle, a shock for any Darwinist, any evolutionist should be like, oh, no, how do I explain this? And so, but I, I think that that's funny. Yeah. So well, I, I guess our goal and our hope and our prayer is that it will explode people's minds into a new dimension of awareness of how amazing life is. And it's kind of the history of life at the very beginning is just explodingly wonderful. Yes, it absolutely is. And I think a lot of people who may not be too familiar with this term or concept are going to leave with a whole lot of information that they didn't know. And maybe yeah. they'll see things a lot differently than they did going in. Yeah. So where I thought we would go today and in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, I'm going to try to do an overview. This is impossible, but I'm going to attempt the impossible. An overview of what has become the number one nonstop and worsening year by year embarrassment for Charles Darwin. And that is called the Cambrian Explosion. And the Cambrian Explosion is related to the sudden appearance, it's in essence, it's a, a fact of, of fossil science that life, when it appeared more than just single-celled animals, when it appeared after a little failed experiment called the Ediacara animals, which are really barely yeah, qualifying to be called animals, they're more like blimps uh, than they are machines. And those Ediacara animals kind of fade away in the fossil record way down. We're talking, if you accept the geological time frame, and I'm not endorsing that in any way, but if this work with that, you know, if you go down 600 million years ago in the fossil record, you look and it's a blank slate, but if you pull out your microscope, you can see these little teeny blimpy things, either single-celled or small animals that look like air mattresses. And then they fade away pretty quickly. And then kaboom! I don't want to be too loud here. I think it was within the parameters of, of uh, the, the number of decibels. So the, the explosion of uh, 20 different life forms, and, and we're not just t- saw, talking about minor difference, we're talking about massive difference, like the difference between a helicopter and let's say a hair, hair dryer. Okay, now there may be some twirling objects in both of them, but the structure of a, hel- a helicopter compared to, let's say, a Jaguar car, compared to an air conditioning system on a house, compared to, let's say, um, you know, your uh, object, something in your kitchen, that uh, an egg beater, you know, electronic egg beater. All of those four gizmos, all four of those machines are massively different. Well, that's what we find popping into the fossil record is the equivalent of helicopters and air conditioning systems 
and um, you know egg beaters, and and I, I could go on and on to try to make the analogy. But what we find in the fossil records was even known by Charles Darwin, and he was ruining the day he ever realized how bad this problem was. And he said, "Well, give it some time. We'll fill in those gaps because it's just a matter of not looking hard enough." And that's kind of the most failed prediction of all time because since Darwin's day. The, the, the gaps have become structurally solid and hugely, gigantically um, empty. In other words, the gaps are true gaps, and they're not even close to filling in any of these gaps between the 20 or more. They, some people propose it may be 20, 25 or more, but at least 20 major structural forms that suddenly appear in the fossil record, the major phyla. This is a mystery of mysteries. So, Nick, with your permission, I'd like to give first an overview of how this developed and then maybe some of the particulars. How's that sound? Yeah, I think that'd be really helpful. So if uh, if you're pulling up, if you use a computer search mode, uh, Google, whatever, you might want to just put Cambrian explosion. But I would not recommend using Wikipedia because they're very, very biased. Even some of the people who are. Uh, on the other side of the fence, the Darwinists and hardcore atheists admit that the Wikipedia material on intelligent design um, and this particular area of, of Cambrian fossil history is very slanted. Uh, so let me just say that evolutionnews.org is our go-to preferred web source in the whole universe of digital media. The other one is crev.info, C-R-E-V. CR, like the first two words of creation, EV, like the two, the, the two letters of creation, two letters of evolution. Put those four letters together, CREV, and add dot .info, and you're there. So the crev.info and the evolutionnews.org, those two websites are massively important and gloriously uh, just high quality. So what we're going to do is we're going to explain that when Charles Darwin passed from the scene in 1882, they hadn't even named this event. It was, it was still, you know, Devonian, Silurian, and some of the other names that were used. They kind of then uh, succeeded in renaming this period that if you go by geological standard timescales 540 million years ago, and it ends, it peters out about 498, 499 million years ago. So we're talking about a 40 million, period, 40 million year period. And the animals, some of the, the listeners are, to our program and podcast may have heard of the trilobites. They are probably the, the ultimate superstars of the fossil record in that early period because they suddenly appear out of nowhere and they look a little bit like horseshoe crabs, but they're more fancy dancy. They're more high tech in the top structure looking down at them. And I won't go into details, but uh, I think some of us have maybe been on the beaches of Florida or elsewhere and maybe seen some, um, some of these you know, um, little crabs uh, scuttling in the, in the sand, horseshoe crabs or whatever. And just think of that as the modern day representative of the trilobite. The other animals uh, are, are, are maybe not quite as well known, but there are brachiopods, uh, sometimes called lamp shells, and there are other really exciting, weird animals that were not discovered until, let's say, the 20th century. But even in Darwin's day and when he passed from the scene, scientists were stumped. How do you explain the sudden appearance of this really complex arthropod, same category as insects, 
as well as crabs and lobsters today. And this animal already has arms and legs and it has lungs, it has eyes. As a matter of fact, complex insect type eyes that are better really in some ways than the insect eyes we see today. How can you have this sudden appearance of this animal out of nowhere and then you know, you go down below it and it's just a blank page. It's just a blank rock and there's nothing there tracing any you know, sudden or a rather, you know, rapid rise or slow rise either way and no developmental or transitional sequence of earlier fossils leading down to something more primitive is ever found. Now, when I began to study fossil science about 35 years ago intensely, this was already a turning point in the discussion of Cambrian fossil history. Because number one, in the 1980s, when, when I began to go lecture in the Dominican Republic and the US and other parts of the world on the fossil problems of Darwinism, they had just published a series of papers in Cambridge University, England, by some of the top PhD rising stars there. And these guys had been filtering as it were, kind of jostling around in the fossil bins at the Smithsonian, the same museum where we're taking a group of students this uh, next month. And the Smithsonian Museum had them in storage. They weren't on display. And these scientists were poking around in these fossil bins that had been collected by a guy named Walcott back around 1915, 1920. And they were shocked because they saw new fossil forms that had never been seen before. And they said, wow, we thought that Walcott said all these fossils he found in the hillside of this um, Alberta, Canada, up in the Canadian Rockies, this kind of uh, mount, uh, well, the field uh, formation of Burgess Shale. He said that the, the, these are just unseen before. They are totally amazing, they're shocking, they're complex, but they're uniquely different from other fossils. And so the discovery of those fossils that had been shipped back to Washington from the Canadian Rockies 70 years earlier, in, let's say 1910, 1920, those fossils became the first catapulting of the Cayman explosion to a whole new level. And that's what led, for example, the Harvard professor of fossil studies, Stephen Jay Gould, to write his book, Wonderful Life. And, then, and he told the story, and he kind of reveled in this because he was trying to develop a new theory of evolution to solve this, minister, this mystery, to explain away this problem. And he basically, are you ready for this? If yeah. evolution doesn't have slow, happen slow and gradually, I'm sure, says Stephen Jay Gould, it must happen through gigantic jumps. So animals just jump to a new form. How do you like that explanation? Isn't that convenient? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if slow and gradual doesn't work, then maybe there was a revolution. And all of a sudden, we went from the first floor to the 80th floor without an elevator. And so I'm thinking in terms of, you know, levels of structure. Now, you know, it's almost laughable. I mean, if you, if you haven't already bought into the evolutionary idea, if you're not committed to what we call the paradigm or the broad structure of thought that guides evolutionary research, I mean, you, you see that that's just kind of like the atheist version of, of maybe a magical, you know, poof, and suddenly you pull out of the hat a rabbit, which wasn't there a moment. And, and really, that's, that's 
totally contradictory to Darwinism. I think punctuated equilibrium, I think is the term he used, right? Yes, that's right. And it's, it's really just contradictory to Darwinism. It's, well, the God of the gaps that they accuse everybody else of. And Yeah. It's like, it's like Darwin of the gaps. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they don't have any God. They have an intelligent design right. to rely on. And so guess what? You know, animals can change violently suddenly, you know. So a, a mama lizard lays an egg and out pops a baby bird. How convenient is that? <laughs> that explains the sudden origin of birds without, you know, transitional forms. But but who can, for one second, consider that as a plausible scientific hypothesis? You need hundreds, if not thousands, of new digital DNA genes to, to explain or to guide and, and process the development of weather, of, of feathers and wings and beaks and um, all the various systems, uh, the, the flow through lung of a bird, completely different from a lizard lung. And how can you explain any of those just by blind chance events of nature? I don't have enough faith to be an evolutionist at that point. And so what we're seeing here in the 1980s, and the, I, I would say it was another explosion uh, at that point, but it was an explosion of publications. And it was very embarrassing for the traditional Darwinian establishment. Only Stephen Jay Gould, who had this really odd punctuated equilibrium theory, could revel in it. And that's why he wrote the book. He said, well, you know, here, here's my theory, except at a larger scale. You know, animals pop out suddenly, new, new, new life forms. Well, then it got even worse because in the late 80s and then the 1990s to, to this day, a rich fossil bed was discovered in the southern part of China, just, in, just above the Vietnam border in this area called uh, Yunnan. That's the province. And then the area is called Qingjiang. Uh, Qingjiang, uh, interesting word, uh, is the area, the precinct, and now it's actually spread out into other areas besides Qingjiang. And these fossils um, that were discovered and cataloged fairly quickly put the, the British um, you know, team from Cambridge, as they worked for the Canadian fossils in, in Washington, D.C., have almost put them to shame because the variety of this new explosion revealed in the, in the Chinese, rather the Chinese fossils was staggering. In other words, for any one or two uh, new fossil forms you found in the Canadian fossils, you had five or 10 fossil forms coming to light. And, and the quality of the preservation in the Qingjiang, the Chinese fossils was just spectacular. They could even see the interior organs of animals. And these are many of them soft-bodied animals. So that's quite spectacular. So what I was going to do is just update everyone that the, the Cambrian explosion that was beautifully described and explained, I would say, at an average high school senior level, of college freshman level, in Steve Meyer's book, Darwin's Doubt. It's a great, great achievement. So Darwin's Doubt. And then the film that came out just a few years before that called Darwin's Dilemma. I think we've talked about those before, haven't we? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. We've interviewed Stephen Meyer, of course, talking about his newest book, The Return of the God Hypothesis. But his earlier book, the one that convinced um, a number of key scientists to actually change their minds, you know, um, I think it's really exciting to see the impact that Steve Meyer's book on the Cambrian explosion has been. But then, are you ready for this? They've discovered still more fossils. One of these weird fossils, actually several of them, came to light about in the uh, end of 2018, early 2019, in the Kootenay National Park. It's in Canada. It's a little bit 
south, I think like 40, 50 miles south of the old Burgess Shale. And now they're discovering new life forms that has never that have never been seen before. So the Cambrian explosion is getting bigger and bigger. And, uh, and I just think that this is uh, really, really significant. And I, I don't know if you, if you find it um, amazing, but it's, it's, it's quite fantastic to see that, that, there, that there's new Canadian fossil discoveries that are compounding the headache for Darwin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to see that they're still discovering things. I mean, the, uh, the fossils that you mentioned even back in, what did you say, it was 1910 mm -hmm. or 1915, even those are just mind-blowing. And you have to wonder, what if they had discovered those fossils before Darwin had written The Origin of Species or, or his other books? I know they were briefly aware of it, but what if they had that kind of evidence um, to look back at? I wonder how different Darwin and many others would have thought. Um, and then on the other hand, you have to wonder if, if they would, because today people do have that evidence and they kind of just sweep it under the carpet. And, and they sort of pretend it doesn't exist, so to speak. Um, yeah. but, but going off of that, what, what other kind of breakthroughs uh, do you think have come onto the surface? Well, there, there, there are some other really astounding breakthroughs. And let me just, uh, just peel off one, one after another as quickly as I can. I'll say that the new discovery just about a month or two months ago uh, made of an, an animal that was actually found in the Chinese fossils. And its name is Titanochoris. Titanochoris was one of the bigger fossils. It's brand new. Uh, you can actually put that name in your search engine. It's Titano, like, you know, like titanium, T-I-T-A-N-O, followed by the, um, the two-syllable word chorus, K-O-R-Y-S. So if you're looking it up on a search engine, that's what you would put in. Titanochorus, uh, it was a, a big bewildering animal. And it had multifaceted eyes, a mouth shaped like a pineapple slice that was lined in teeth. And it had spiny claws located beneath its head to catch prey. The body was like a series of flaps that helped it swim. And guess what? It had a huge head, uh, you know, you might call it a carapace. Uh, and it was like, it looks like you took the shape of a human brain when you remove the skull, you know, with the folds of the brain tissue, and then you emboss that or place that as the, as the surface um, structure of this protective head. It looked like a floating brain swimming through the water. Wow. Isn't that, <laughs> Isn't that delightfully weird? <laughs> and, and so this defensive covering was similar to that of a shell, like a, you know, or a crab or a turtle. And one, one scientist said these enigmatic animals certainly had a big impact on the Cambrian seafloor ecosystems. And it says that, you know, the, their huge dorsal carapace might have functioned like a plow. It could plow its way through the water, through the sand. And just to, to describe the new discoveries and the excitement you see, you, you know, what, what are the other side, what does the evolutionary side say? And a couple of them said, oh, well, I think we have enough time to evolve these animals if they just had kind of a sudden spurt, you know, like an acceleration. But now that has become implausible because one of our top scientists, Gunter Beckley, who just 10 years ago was a major figure in the fossils of the, um, you know, the dragonfly and series of species that he had discovered and identified and named. He was a hardcore atheist at the time. He began to reading some of the books by Meyer and Behe, some of the leading scientists of intelligent design. And he thought, since he'd never read them before, he said, wow, 
there's actually a good argument to be made on the other side. So over a period of several years, three or four years of rethinking and reading and research, he changed his mind 180 degrees and he abandoned Darwinism and embraced intelligent design. Later on, he became um, a Christ follower. I mean, that, that followed his scientific discoveries. But the, uh, the work of Gunter Beckley, he has pointed out just in the last couple of days that the Darwin's, uh, you know, Darwin's explanation or the Darwinian community's attempt to get out of this big bang is suddenly being shut out completely because they, they, they thought they had like, you know, 20 million years, you know, and they think that's a lot of time to evolve these 20 different, you know, body plans. No way, Jose. Steve Myers said that the hierarchical DNA information, you would need hundreds of kilobytes and beyond that, even hundreds of megabytes of information. You would have to have thousands of scientists writing code nonstop for years to produce the information that we find guiding the structures of these different creatures. But you don't have any intelligence. Intelligence is ruled out, not because of scientific reasons, but because of a philosophical or worldview preference. So the the idea of this long, you know, plenty of plenty of time has now poofed away. Uh, one of the uh, trilobite the arthropods that was found 537 million years ago is found with only a gap of what's called 13 million year gap for the evolution of a complex animal. Now you may say, well, that's okay, but then. The Big Bang just went nuclear because um, Beckley stumbled on a paper uh, that was written in 2018. His research group in Zurich and Switzerland was talking about how the earlier balloon-like orga organisms, by, by the way, they explode and then go away. There's no transitional forms leading to them either. But the Ediacara organisms, um, they, when they finally passed away, the window of time to then the appearance of the novel Cambrian animals is not even a million years. Get this. Are you ready for it? Yeah. 410,000 years. Wow. So the gap between <laughs> the last Ediacaran animals, which are not related to the Cambrian animals, and the first Cambrian animals is like a blink of an eye in geological time. And so he basically says, you read that correctly just 410,000 years. This is not an educated guess, he says, but based on very precise dating with a uh, margin error that is very, very tiny. And so he says, basically, modern science is coming to the end of its rope and trying to explain away the Cambrian explosion. We're on the verge of like additional discoveries that could happen you know, over the next several months and next few years that could put this whole Cambrian explosion, uh, the Darwinian explosion, explanation of it in a serious tailspin. I think it's already in a tailspin and I think it's exciting and it opens people up to consider that maybe there is a creator after all. Back over to you. Absolutely, I would agree. And, and I think it's just amazing to see how um, not only is Darwinian evolution really contrary to the evidence that we've had available for a very long time now, uh, but we also get to see the the wonder and the beauty of God's glory through his creation, how amazing he's created things and uh, how undeniable it is that God is the one who created it. We have an intelligent designer and that intelligent designer is Christ. 
and I know you're not going to do this, so I just wanted to do it real quick before we go. Um, your book, uh, you had a couple excerpts, a few chapters, actually, I think you said a third of it, uh, Darwinism Under the Microscope. Yep. If anybody wants to order that book, there's some amazing stuff uh, that Dr. Woodward has written on the Cambrian explosion. It's very helpful, very compact, where anyone can read and understand it. And then he also has his book, uh, Doubts About Darwin and Darwin Strikes Back, where he gets into the history of it and really does an amazing job um, showing you how intelligent design came to where it is. And now it's just blowing up. So it's amazing to see. Um, but thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. And thank you for joining us as we explore God's glory through creation. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about about life, faith, and worldview in the universe next door.